surfing's changing, guys. Get used to it. And that was the voice of Gwen Spurlock there in the garden studio about an hour ago. And Rob and I have not stopped arguing since. What's our beef with each other, Rob? It's, uh, I wouldn't say it's uh, a beef, Tom. No, I suppose it's, it's a really kind of 24-hour steamed pulled pork that's really tasty, actually, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, nice and soft. And... I mean, it's it's uh, it's more of a, a disagreement on the, the direction that we think or we hope that surfing will take in uh, in the future. And I'd like to take this opportunity actually to double down on uh, my anti my anti jockification of surfing stance okay. that I um, I kind of adopted during during that show. And I've got a theory to go with it that will become more clear after listeners have heard the show. And it goes a bit like this. So Gwen is clearly someone that's really goal oriented, and she has kind of her elite athletic uh, cap on her head. Um, throughout most of that interview and whereas I was kind of saying that I think that surfing should stick to its kind of counterculture anti-establishment roots and that's how I see surfing and how I'd like it to remain and I think there's a good reason why so I have kind of been around surfing for um, a long time before I started competing having grown up going to the beach with dad when he went surfing and hearing all his uh, old stories and goodness knows what else Whereas Gwen's journey into surfing was slightly different. And I believe, um, as you'll hear again in, in the show, that Gwen got into competing in surfing very shortly after learning to surf uh, through her association with the, the Mumbles Lifeguard. So it's always been a very uh, contest. About competing. Competi- competition competition-centric right. okay. um, Interesting. pursuit for her. Whereas I've kind of been more around the, the, the traveling, storytelling, okay. lifestyle. You're saying that... Surfing culture is a thing that perhaps you you can sort of inherit before you've actually stood up on a wave. Yeah, interesting. I guess so. But so I break your theory that... totally, though, don't I? Because you know, like I, I'm I'm jock till I die. You know, I I just love competing. Nah, you're not. Again, it's as we discussed. It's so it's very hard to define. It's more of a vibe. But no, you're you're not a jock a as much as you'd like to think you are. Okay. Oh well, I I was taking Gwen's side on things very much, wasn't I? Um, yeah. And yeah, what a per- you know, she's the person I think to uh, to give the big word to on this. Then, so uh, it was a good but, one. I enjoyed our chat. Oh, it's brilliant, and and it's going to carry. It's going to rumble on into future guests now, isn't it? Let's uh, let's let's hear Gwen's take on it all. It's Gwen Spurlock in the Garden Studio, guys. Episode 9 of Crest. We're joined in the garden studio by one of Wales's most dominant competitive surfers and now manager of the British surf team. Gower ripper Gwen Spurlock is here to chat about the ups and downs, wins, injuries and milestones of her fascinating career, as well as her bright view of the future for surfing in this land. Thanks for tuning in to this, our first full feature length episode in the garden studio. You've heard the short Tom did with Richard Stroud, but it's a pleasure now to recommence the Legend series by welcoming Gwen Spurlock to the show. How's things, Gwen? Find the place all right? Because it's a pretty secretive location. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was fine. Um, Just down the road. And I had very good um, directions from you, Tom. So thank you very much. Burn after reading, they are. 
We'll throw down a few words by way of introduction shortly, but first, a reminder of the other wheel on this axle. To my left, a man who upon hearing of the impending lockdown immediately enrolled in an online hedge lane course. Titled Hedging Your Bets, Preparing for the Apocalypse, the course promised its pupils to teach them everything there is to know hedgewise. From the double stake style to the Montgomery, the Brecon to the Westmoreland, he's now a certified member of Hedge Layers of Britain. It's Tom Anderson. How are you, Tom? I'm all right. I'm a bit under pressure here now, aren't I? I've just gone for something nice and honest this week, actually. Uh, and to my right, need I say more, more on this uh, special day? It is the most honest surfer in Wales. The man who waited later than anyone else, potentially the whole of Northern Europe, actually, to break his lockdown surf cherry. It's a wet-haired, tanned and smiling Robert Webster Blythe. How are you feeling? Pretty good, thanks, Tom. Nice to... Uh... As you say, yeah, I've had my first surf post-lockdown. It feels good. So Gwen, for your benefit, Tom and I, um, I'm not really sure when it started or where it started, but we've given each other intros each week and we've, they've kind of got bigger and bigger and more, and more and more elaborate and we have to ask you now to pick a winner. I mean, I had no idea where both of those were going, but I have to say Rob was oh, far more impressive. So, sorry, much. Tom. He's into a 2-1 I'm on a 3-1, I think, isn't it? No, I think it's because he confused me more than anything, whereas yours was a bit more simple. <laughs> I thought that was a bit more elaborate. Yeah, Harry said the same thing. Harry said it doesn't. I don't understand half the words you boys. So I'm just going to give you. <laughs> but then Luke was the only because he, he said that I was too confusing. I so think you tried too hard. Yeah, I can't wait. Try hard. I don't want to be a simple. Is fine, mind. Yeah. It is fine. Yeah, that's true. Well, as standard, we've got a normal one for you, Gwen. Um, oh, so boring. A big welcome to Quest. Uh, you heard in our intro that Gwen is a formidable figure in a contest jersey. How formidable exactly is evidenced in a glut of Welsh Open titles, a British Junior Crown. European Pro Tour wins and a BUCS Championship. The CV speaks for itself there. But it is the energy she has consistently put back into Welsh and indeed British surfing which makes her a standout among the ranks of the country's most decorated riders. Her role as the current British team manager means she takes the helm during what is, for all nations, one of the most exciting times to be involved in the development of surfing. Pandemics notwithstanding, Olympic involvement now means significant interest, both commercial and governmental, is being taken in the journey of a modern up-and-coming surf star. As federations restructure and rejig their operations to meet these challenges, we're stoked that the front line of British elite surfing is now back at the beck and call of a Welsh person. And let's start there. Tell us about the role and where it's taken you so far in terms of actions and responsibilities. Well, that was a full-on introduction. Yeah. How long did it take you to learn that? That is amazing. Oh, give it a bit of welly, don't we? I know. Yeah, Fair best. play. You guys have got some time on your, on your hands. <laughs> um, wow. So first of all, I'll go with the role. So um, for 2020, I am the British Surf Team Manager. Uh, for 2019, I applied for a role of being one of the joint head coaches for our first Olympic qualification event, which was in Miyazaki in Japan, um, the September just gone. Yeah, so um, I saw that the role was being advertised. I All I understood was we were going to, um, surfing was going to be in the Olympics and perhaps Britain had a chance at some sort of qualification and that was our first part of that. So, yeah. So the role is pretty much, for this year, I was supposed to manage the team to go away to our second Olympic qualifier, but um, COVID-19 uh, put a stop to that. Uh, and at the moment, we are waiting to see when they are going to announce uh, the next date, which they did originally say would be to the latter end of 2020, which at the moment, with the amount um, of cases that are going on in Brazil and Central America, we're oh, not true. so sure. Yeah, true. 
that's going to happen. So, yeah, so that, yeah. That's the route I was going to try and lead us on now. Clearly, you don't know a great deal above that, but have you got any, any guesses, perhaps informed guesses, as to what's going to happen in that as part of that Olympic qualification? Well, my understanding is half of the qualification um, slots are gone due to the 2019 uh, selection from the yeah. WSL yeah. and the 2019 ISA World Games, mm -hmm. which I just said was the first um, non-professional uh, pathway. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of the next, the next route, my wild guess would be they might hold it again at the same date they were meant to this year, which mean would be May 2021. Gosh, that'd be a short turnaround then for anyone who makes it, wouldn't it? Yeah. But it was that for this year. Yeah. I think they have yeah, a min they have a minimal amount of time that they have to be able to pull together. I think the latest, don't hold me to this, but maybe six or eight weeks that that's the last time you can qualify for an Olympic event and the turnaround. So I think we were cutting that fine anyway. Mm. So they do still have a considerable amount of time to run the, the next um, Olympic qualifier, but it's just who knows what's ahead. And we, we have, I say we, Britain, has a, a fairly big interest in it, don't we, in, in terms of uh, Jay, Jay Quinn? Right, yeah. So in terms of... I mean, from a Welsh perspective, yeah. Jay has been incredible in, in terms of his ability, um, his results and what he's managed to do for Welsh surfing within the last few, few years. I mean, he's brought us two Euro European titles, which is huge for the sport mm. here in Wales. And not just that, I think he was a great influence on the juniors coming through and um, them being able to see him and seeing what he's achieved. And it's sort of creating that pathway for them. Mm. Um, in terms of what he's looking to do in the future, I personally haven't spoken to Jay and I have no idea what his plans are. Um, from a, Br a British perspective, it would be great to have him involved yeah. in the next um, mm. the next group if he were to it's be selected via the Welsh and be yeah. selected via the British. Obviously, there's that pathway of selection which has to be a dear to. Um, but yeah, from my understanding, he's now moved back to New Zealand. Yeah, so I, yeah, I heard that. It's difficult because because I suppose he, you know he'd he'd kind of had a certain date in mind mm. and have it all pushed on by a year. Right. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see what happens, I suppose, won't we? Yeah. Absolutely. But aside from Jay, we also have lots of talent within of the course. UK. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned there about the different qualification paths, and um, we briefly mentioned the the newly formed British Surfing Federation. Right. And I mean, I don't know anything about it. What's the What's the thought behind making a new British Surfing Federation? I mean, I suppose it's quite new in terms of its formation, um, which was 2016. And it was formed by the founding members um, of the Home Nations, which is what the Welsh Surfing Federation, the Channel Islands Surfing Federation, Scottish Surfing, as well as the English Surfing Federation. So they all came together um, to form this uh, specifically to select, manage and coach British teams um, in the hope of Olympic qualification. So that's the purpose of British Surfing. Brilliant. Yeah, it's a pretty simple remit, and uh, yeah, good luck with that. So Thank you. It's going it's, it's, it's to happen at some point, hopefully. Well, fingers crossed. I mean, yeah. I think surfing's changing, and the culture of it is completely changing, um, along with us being now really considered as a legitimate sport. So yeah. I think this is part of that movement. Mm. Um, I mean, I know it divides people, uh, people who obviously love to surf for just the fun of it, and the fact it's an individual sport. But then you also now have that side where it is a sport, yeah. And it's oh, being taken it seriously yeah. Yeah. and now there's a pathway for people to earn a living from it and mm. to chase chase their dreams, yeah. I suppose a big turning point as well in, in the recent history for surfing is that it does seem now to have cracked getting people who don't surf to enjoy spectating or watching it on a webcast or on TV. So it's got, you know, it's actually managed to 
be presentable whether or not you actually ride waves whereas I suppose you know go back 10 years 15 years it's probably mm. you had to surf to want to watch a contest really didn't you I think interestingly if you look at um, slope style being introduced in 2014 yeah. I think into the so a, Sochi that, games you have good, to uh, analogy for I sure think, uh, yeah. if you look at the criteria that they use and the variety of maneuvers yeah. and the slope and what they have to join and collect with in terms of points you look at that and you go, well, actually, surfing is a comparable to that. Obviously, yeah. we have an ever-changing landscape in terms of the water, but there is a way um, to judge it. And I guess we're all going to do our best and we're all trying to conform to the ISA judging criteria. Yeah. And that's what we've been working towards in Wales for a very long time. And um, I know in every event you go to across the world, whether it's WSL, whether it's a European surfing championships, whether it's ISA, you tend to get different head judges. So. Yeah what you're looking at does tend to change depending on what head judge you have. But realistically, we are getting better at understanding what is needed to be done to, yeah. to create those excellent scores. And here in Wales, I think we're just yeah. trying to simplify it and in the UK of how we go about cre creating that. Yeah, and we've got, we've got guys bouncing through heats on the QS now in some of those kind of mid-level yep. comps. Mm -hmm. And we Luke Dillon and Peony Knight. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I guess you can't there's there's a few people you guess you can't really leave out of that conversation. I know Peony Knight is doing extremely well. Um Ellie Turner is doing yeah. extremely well extremely well, excuse me. Um Luke Dillon obviously is our male representative that we have there that's yeah. doing um some significant damage or has done some significant damage. But we also have other surfers now who potentially might be vying for British selection, which might happen in the future, might not. Yeah. Um, we've had the likes of Jake Alkington, who is um, who has been through the ranks in South Africa, but holds a British passport and has surfed for England in the past. So he's a force to be re reckoned with also. So it's really important to make sure when we look at our landscape of the surfers to go, well, OK, I have these people um, surf for anyone in the UK. And are they looking to, because they should be included in that conversation as well. Hmm. Well, let, let's go back to people that inspired you in the early days then, because uh, you started off surfing through a friendship that you had with uh, Beth Mason at Mumble's Lifeguards. And uh, and then from there, it was Tracy Box, all right, at Langeneth, who sort of really got you guys moving and competitive. That's totally correct. So Beth and I um, have known each other since birth. Our parents were best friends throughout uni. And when we moved back from America, we bought a house three doors down. So our lives and our surfing, if you want to call it a career, are highly intertwined. Um, yeah, so I moved back from America in 1999 and I started Mumble's Lifeguards. So that's what, age nine? Nine ten? to ten, yeah. yeah. I think uh, it was important to be introduced to the sea because I lived inland in South Carolina, so I didn't really get an opportunity to spend a lot of time in the water there. So at that point, you're a, you're a deep south gal when you moved to Absolutely, Wales. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> deep, deep south, yeah. We'll That's talk about right. that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, no, so yeah, I started surfing with Beth. I think um, Errol, Beth's mum, who was also a, quite a large figure in Welsh surfing yeah. for a few yeah. years, um, I think she bought us uh, for Beth's birthday uh, surf lessons from GSD. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much the start of it. So that was Simon JM, wasn't That's it? That's correct, GSD? yeah. Oh, great. And then that transpired and transformed into what would become squad training. And then Tracy Boxall moved uh, across from Australia and started working in Swansea. I think with Simon at first and then she ended up doing her own stuff as well and we ended up doing squad training with her then yeah. so she was a really pivotal part of my competitive surf career and training and yeah what I would consider she's definitely a key role. Right and Beth is a friend like a family friend not like a school friend because you were saying that 
you didn't go to the same school as Beth no. because you'd basically grown up speaking deep south southern drawl pretty pretty much oh I like that uh, you tried your I best could, no, you I tried you <laughs> I think you oh, got I tried I a golf voice last week that was embarrassing I think you got your kicks then I'm going <laughs> to give you that one um, yeah so Beth went to the local Welsh school as did her brothers uh, my sisters also went to the local Welsh school as they're older so pretty much when we came back I missed the cut off by two years so right, I couldn't okay. go to a Welsh school so I went to the oh. other local primary school yeah which I would have loved to have spoken Welsh but unfortunately my mum and dad didn't move back in time didn't oh. move, move us back in time so no we definitely didn't didn't go to the same school and we weren't even in the same um, year group in school so she was a year above oh, right, but most okay. of the year she's two years above me really? yeah wow. so yeah, we're just super lucky that um, we had surfing as that bonding factor as well as our friendship within families as well and the fact that we lived literally two doors away from each other. And then you both kind of like didn't look back at all from there then. Not so, really. So you know, we pushed each other. And then in the 2004 Welsh, I'm not sure whether... I, I did actually try checking some of the records with Mark Vaughan today because they always bang on about the idea of somebody winning the juniors and the open mm. in the same year. And, you know, we know about Barfield and Patrick Landark and Matt Stephen and all this. Yeah. But you won the under-14s and the Open in the same year at the Welsh, is that right? I think so, hey, you're going to have oh, to... No, you won the under-14 boys. Yeah, and girls. So yeah. look at that. Oh, and, and yeah. Then, yeah. Oh, so the girls are in with the under-14 boys. Well, yeah. yeah. So you won the under-14s, beating all the boys, and you won the Welsh Open ladies at the same time. I mean, when you're that young, I think it's great just to enter all, all events, and yeah. you just want to be in the water as much as possible, so... I remember my mum just handing me hot chocolates incessantly, being like, keep going, keep enjoying, here's a Mars bar, don't pass out. It's quite unique to British surfing, I think, isn't it? Like the... The mentality. Well, you just enter everything. It costs about £300 to enter everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you should get plied with hot chocolates to keep you warm throughout your life. No, I love it. It's definitely a fond memory and um, something that I guess kick-started maybe a really fun 10 years. Even though that wasn't really the start, but it was where it, my uh, wins started coming in then, pretty much. With those wins, Gwen, um, from my memory, it seemed like you and Beth, although you, you mentioned Beth was uh, slightly older, you kind of went toe-to-toe, you, you were sparring back and forth, and it seemed that one year you'd win something, and then the next year win, Beth would win it, or vice versa, and you you took it in turns almost. Was that? Did you see that as a rivalry? Obviously you were so close. <laughs> <laughs> Did I see it as a rivalry? Um, no. I think myself, Beth, Errol and my mum used to travel down to Cornwall. I think one summer we counted, it was like six or seven weekends in a row. And that happened cool. for maybe six years. Because when, you're, at, when, five, when you're in the junior category, so I would enter maybe two or three events and she would only be able to enter two because she, mm. when I was under 16, she wouldn't be under 16. So she'd be entering under 18s and women's and sometimes I would enter maybe two or three. So, yeah, there was multiple times memories of us just like she won the women's, I got second, I won the under-18 girls, she got second because, you know, your final goes in at 3.20 of the under-18 girls and then the final of the women's goes in at 3.40. So all you're doing is like, cool, am I get to stay? Can I stay in this vest? You're like, yeah, sweet, back in. And um, now there's something really, really cool about that, driving home and being like, oh, like you pit me in that one. Yeah. But, well, you know, it wasn't ever a case of me being irritated or upset with her. It was always me admiring if she had won. She'd won because she rips. If yeah. anybody's seen Beth so, Surf, you, the people would understand that. Yeah, so you certainly pushed each other then. 
For I, sure. I think that could count as a rivalry. Was there was there anyone else apart from Beth that perhaps you felt you had a stronger rivalry? Any of those under with? fourteen boys, or were they too far back yeah. in the mirrors? <laughs> <laughs> I think I took Adam Reimnitz, you know, oh, in yeah. that in that one. I think that may have scarred him a bit. <laughs> you moved to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, rivalries. Yeah, I don't know. I think Beth was the only one I ever pro- properly looked up to in terms of if I'm going to have a benchmark, she was my benchmark. And there was obviously lots of other brilliant surfers across the UK, like Nicole Morgan from Ireland, Shauna Ward from mm-hmm. Ireland, um, some great surfers in England as well. I'm trying to make sure I don't miss anyone out here. But there's lots <laughs> it's, of brilliant it's like, people. Gosh, Nicole Morgan, I, 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 I've never met someone so mellow, but then so kind of like aggressive once you put her in a jersey, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do you keep uh, a tally against Beth? You've got a tally? Do you know who what your record is against each other? No, we don't have a tally, but there's just been moments. I remember um, she won the Bucks Open event in her first year of uni, which I was travelling in her first year of uni, and then I entered. She graduated, and then I think I ended up going to uni, and then she was like, oh, like, make sure you win. Or was that the juniors, the British juniors, when she wasn't in it? She was like, oh, like, make sure, like, don't come home unless you won it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, for <laughs> because sure. Because you're trying to keep, like... Like, no, just, it's just it's just the case of, it's kind of that that fun, that fun friendship... Yeah. And also that sense of, oh, we've got like this kind of unique club. Because <laughs> I've got a few tallies in my records for you, right? Have you? Let's see if you can guess who this is. I know a surfer that you are 1-0 and o against. And they're sat here now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I speak what year was it? <laughs> How do you feel about that, Rob? <laughs> That's fine. It's, 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 it was it's, absolutely, it's absolutely fine. So, <laughs> if we're talking about the 2011 uh, Welsh in Lantwit, and what a great uh, you event. got to the quarterfinals of the men's, and what a great Rob event, went with one really of those casualties. No, it wasn't like that at all. Fallen by the way, I, I totally <laughs> entered that. I think that's one thing that I'm chuffed that there was a group of us girls used to enter the Open. I think Joe, me, myself, Beth, and Joe used to enter the Open more so for time in the water because sometimes if you're only surfing one event you don't get a huge amount of time to practice in that competitive environment. So that's why I always say try and have as much heat time as possible to get used to that environment, but more so at Lantwit because of how much the wave changes Mm. between tides. Mm. So for me, the main purpose of entering the other event was to figure out how to surf the wave. Um, And it just turns out the waves were quite fun. And I guess the no pressure concept and just being out there and only another three other people, it was fun, yeah. Yeah, scalped. (laughs) <laughs> and you won the I think it was that, close Rob I think you're fine <laughs> and you won the ladies that same year I, I, I know because I was I was stood on the my, my partner yeah. bridge came second to you that year oh, I, I love it in that, in that heat seeing you guys all fighting that great waves in that final great waves just one of the probably some of the best waves you've had uh, in a Welsh that was wasn't it I think so I think we've also had I think there's been a, a few times at Fresh where we've had pumping surf yeah. was that 2012 we had the year after. I can't remember, but we, I for sure know we've had like three to four foot glass at there the Welsh a few, few times. There were around then. I think, I think, I'm pretty sure it started in 2009. 2010 was yes. really good. Yeah, it was 2010. 2010 yeah. was really good. 2011 was Slantwit. Yeah. 12 and there's was... There's another year after it as well that it was just warm, it's sunny, it's brilliant. Yeah. Middle One Bay. One day soon again, hopefully. I mean, at least we get waves though at the Welsh. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, not for a few years. <laughs> I think last year was a bit small, but in general, I think we've always had waves at some point throughout yeah. the Welsh, which yeah. I think is really good. Yeah. Obviously, of course, I think it's going to be awful to hold a surf contest with no waves, wouldn't it? <laughs> okay. That has happened. We, we, well, we've done a few clubbies around here that uh, would fit that. Uh, I love that. Um, we, we've mentioned rivalries. How about inspirational people that you've come across during your... Uh, oh, lots of inspirational Your time on the scene. 
lots of inspiring people. I am um, again without. I know you won't want to miss anybody out, but let's let's have the uh, the top of the charts. Top, top of the, the charts. Okay. So I guess in terms of inspiration, I guess I have to put Beth up there because in, in terms of that impact it had on me, that's got to go up that list quite high. In terms of the wow factor, I competed against Carissa Moore in the 2005 ISA World Games when she was competing. Beach. Can't remember if she was Team USA or Team Hawaii because yeah, at that point they Hawaii were still then, yeah, separate. Yeah. Um, and I remember, I think she was on the front cover of Surfer. I remember walking into a shop in Huntington being like, that's what I've got tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, being a bit sort of overwhelmed, but in a great way. Um, so I think that, Chris and I always looked up to her in terms of physically what she can do on a wave. She's very impressive. I think she's also beaten a lot of guys in QS events mm. or has entered QS events as well. Um, tried herself out against that. So I really love the way she surfs. And I remember I used to just follow her blog. It's very like fangirl, but when I was a youngster, I think that was definitely um, a great thing to do. And then in 2006, um, we met Bethany Hamilton as she was competing for Team Hawaii in Brazil for the next ISA World Games. And that was um, a few years after she had her injury and in her arm taken off by the shark in Hawaii. So seriously, watching her paddle against, uh, excuse me, not paddle against, but paddle faster than half the guys who are international surfers in solid Maricias big surf you just think like how can she even do that and um Maricias is where Gabriel Medina I think has his academy so just to like link that up and who yeah. who was in that I think Julian Wilson Geordie Smith Jeremy Flores there was a there was a key group of um great surfers in that event and she was one of them and seeing her um seeing her being able to perform how she did and hold herself as she did just after all of that is completely inspiring mm. yeah she i think she is the definition of the word isn't she for sure i would say so and of course bethany hamilton is most famous for her injury she should be most famous for her surfing well, i think it's perhaps how she's recovered from the injury and, and yeah. continue to like operate at the highest levels isn't it yeah because she actually rejected uh, an award when she found out that it was an award for um disabled athletes and she said because i don't see myself as a disabled right. athlete i just want to be judged as an athlete full stop right um but of course that that recovery process and that kind of dealing with adversity is the thing that people look to most in bethany hamilton and that's actually something that is quite big in your own career, isn't it? The, the role that injury and recovery from very serious injury has played in shaping your mindset because you came across a quite rare uh, injury um, when you were still a junior, didn't you? That yeah. could have set you back really badly. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so uh, in 2008, um, I was asked kindly to try out um, a local wave machine for the opening for the Queen um, alongside Beth Mason, Lloyd Cole and Chris Guts Griffiths so I think they were just they selected um, I mean the most the yeah. best people I, I don't know the best yeah, people in the, the Gower, Gower crew, yeah. the Gower, just the Gower crew for sure yeah. yeah and unfortunately after that trying that out um i just suffered like reoccurring um crazy headaches because what happened did you bang your head on the no didn't bang my head just um repetitively fell um consistently for quite a long time when we tried it out which um so this is a concussion of some kind yeah, yeah so originally they thought it was post-concussion syndrome and then for the time that it was going on they weren't really sure um and then because it was going on for such amount of time long longer they recommended i go for a ct scan and then that's when 
the travesty and just like all of that unfolded really and got a lot more complicated. So yeah, mm. pretty much I had two subdural brain hemorrhages. Oh. Yeah, which uh, I mean for people who don't really understand that, if you were to go through the windscreen of your car, that's pretty much what they compare my injury to yeah. from an external trauma to understand. Um, but mine were identical. So after everything that happened, my brain surgeon, uh, we had a conversation and he would say it's something similar to what shaking baby syndrome would look like because I had two identical bleeds oh. uh, directly opposite each wow. other. Yeah, so that unfolded um, as, it, as it happened. And so I originally was meant to have um, keyhole surgery, which was just two um, holes drilled into your skull to release pressure, external pressure, because it was on the external part of the brain, not internally. And then that was successful. But in the CT scan, they also found that I had an arachnoid cyst lodge. I think it was in my back left lobe. Um, they are very, very common, and you might never know about them until you were to maybe have an accident and have to have a CT scan. So unfortunately for me, they were concerned that the blood would have activated that, which it had, but we didn't know that until a few weeks after. So just some un unpleasantries. I just had brain food pumping out of my stitches, and Getting I was in isolation. All this stuff. Were you afraid? Yeah, so there was a few times where I actually personally asked the surgeon to stop talking um, and he just shut me off, like, obviously. Mm. I, I just pretty much said to him, please, can you stop telling me this? Because I understand that I have no... I In my head, I had no option but to go ahead with the surgery, even though, uh, not for the first one, but for the second one, I had an option. Mm. But I didn't want to hear about the repercussions. I understood that there was a highly... Um, highly likely chance that I would end up with epilepsy and the success rate was 75 to 25 and um, so he had to explain all of the intricate detail and signing all of those papers and stuff yeah it was heavy for sure wow yeah and um, then since you know we've seen Owen Wright wear gaff helmets you know right. since his you know he lost nearly a year through head injury yeah you, you surfed in a gaff quite a bit after that as well then was that a kind of a security thing or was it to protect <laughs> What happened? Honestly, I think at first it was a bit of both. I remember my last meeting I had with Dr. Kate White, which was August of 2008, um, when I was then given the like thumbs up to surf because I had had the three months post them drilling into my skull. So they were like three months and the bone should heal. So then after that point, we think if you're gonna start doing things like perhaps then is fine to do yeah. so. Um, and I just told him I was gonna surf and he said, well, we advise you not to. And I said, yeah okay and he said I understand you are going to yeah. but I said look I'll wear a helmet so it was kind of my compromise with him right. um, through the journey that him and I had both very uncomfortably just taken with right. one another for the last four yeah. months um, I guess it was kind of a, a moment of respect for the fact that you know that man just saved my life and so you mentioned dr white but it's a couple of the doctors that you've worked with during that process you're now still in touch with and this is yeah. to the how uh, initiative H -W. right yeah it's pretty crazy actually so um over a year ago now so in april 2019 um one of my friends um got in contact with me her name's polly crook so she's in one of my extended circles so we've met and we've like you know we've been to the same workout class as an example but we're not good pals uh, her and her, one of her best friends, Joe Watkins, who is the other co-founder of How, um, had started How, and they were looking to start up the surf section of How, and they were thinking, how are we going to do this lo locally? How should we look at running it? And then Polly was like, well, we've got to get Gwen involved. And then Joe was like, Gwen Spurlock. And Polly was like, yeah. And Joe was like, you know her. And then all of a sudden, I ended up coming around for a cup of tea. 
to have a conversation about what my inclusion would look like and how I could help. And Joey was like, Gwen, you, my husband was the anaesthetist on that day where you almost right. died and you had a pretty heavy effect on him in a positive way and we almost called our youngest when oh. after you, but they didn't, wow. so, so it doesn't <laughs> count. Didn't. But they didn't, so it doesn't <laughs> count. But Maggie is very, very cute, and um, no, it's quite lo lovely now. I actually surfed with him this morning, so oh. yeah, I see them quite a lot. And how stands for happiness, opportunity, and well being. And the initiative is to um, encourage and empower young girls, um, specifically at the moment across Wales, but they're going to open a global online network forum where they um, offer opportunities through workshops and working with experts in their field so they're just trying to give girls an opportunity that they may not have had before yeah it sounds fantastic what a noble cause as well yeah brilliant so moving back to to surfing post injury okay so it was the the british juniors in 2008 so you got injured at the beginning of that year and had a very small amount of time back in the water, I assume, before the uh, your first competition. Yeah, so when I was in hospital, I tried to give myself goals to work towards, to try to keep me happy and motivated and trying to figure out so I don't feel like I'm super depressed sat at home and can't do it anything. So yeah, that event was always part of what I envisioned myself um, entering and seeing just how I did, because my whole mindset was, I entered it the year before and I won, so if I don't enter it this year, I can't win. But if I enter it, I still have a chance at winning and it's still kind of pushing the ideology like you're in it to win it. So yeah, I entered it um, after being in the water, I think may have been six or seven weeks. Um, and I got to the quarterfinals, but my body was just completely physically drained. So yeah, I came out of that event just very, very tired, just super emotional. I think my mum was trying to pick me up a lot. I think obviously it was quite an emotional time for her to watch me do that to myself because um, I put a lot of pressure on myself to try and do well whilst everyone else around me probably has a different perspective to it of going, we've just almost watched you die and now you'll think, you think you still think this is the most important thing ever, which is, is important to you, but at the same time, they just wanted the best for me. Um, so yeah, no, definitely wasn't a negative experience, quite the opposite. Um, quite empowering for me, quite uplifting and um, probably the one event that I'm most proud of. Wow, yeah, well, it's... Uh, it's that resilience, isn't it? Stoicism yeah. in so the face of adversity. I suppose you knew how tough you were at that point, yeah. Yeah, I think you come out of moments when you're sat in a hospital bed and they're like, oh yeah, the rate of survival or the rate of you getting this illness or, you know, we're not sure, oh, by the way, you almost didn't wake up and all these things that you then get told after, because you, you're not there. I was unconscious. I was in, you know, I was out cold. So everyone else experienced it around you. So mentally, I didn't really experience that until other people tell you afterwards, after you've experienced the actual trauma, but you feel the physical trauma of having drugs injected into you and going in and out of um, anesthetic time and time again, your body does take an absolute beating for good or for bad and yeah so just pretty much just super super tired for that first part um after that event and I just said to myself cool I got to the quarterfinals there's this a year benchmark. There's a benchmark yeah there's like a I made that goal yeah. I achieved that I was really happy with myself for doing that regardless of the result I think I proved something to myself I think I also proved something to other people which was also a driving force yeah. to me so in 2009 though 
was it part of the plan to win everything? Because that's pretty much what you, you did when you got back into the jersey then. Uh, you won the British Juniors, you won the Welsh, you won the UK Pro Tour and the Bucks Contest. Bucks Contest was year after, but you pretty much nailed that on the head. <laughs> okay, there we go. You, yeah, I'm going to give you that. Well done. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, for, uh, definitely the main thing for me was to win the British Junior event as I was leaving the category. And the rest of them are just all part of that. Because I think the British Junior event finished in the September, October, and the Welsh was at the start of the season. Yeah. So the Welsh always seems to be a bit of a warm-up for the season. Right, yeah. And then the UK Pro Tour is throughout the season. So the aim of the game is just to be as consistent as possible and get yourself on the podium as possible, as much as possible, excuse me. This is... I'm here again now, and it? It's the third guest who's won the Bucks now, isn't it? Yeah. And, and Rob... Have you won it, Rob? Second. Oh, and mate. I'm third, so I'm like bottom of the oh, tree God. here yet again. Guys, yeah, you can't go into the winners' so club. So yeah, I won the drinking contest. <laughs> you, you had a great time. Yeah. <laughs> who who took? So, go on. So in fact, I remember everyone else going out, uh, going out and partying, and I was just like, I remember I went to Gemma Harris's house, slept on the sofa, and stayed away from all of that. So I and then won. So I yeah. Always tried to make sure that I isolate. <laughs> I always tried to isolate myself away from that. Um, even though, don't get me wrong, I enjoy a good time, and yeah. I was at uni enjoying a good time. But I tried to always separate it. That's sport, isn't it? Um, because I feel yeah. like I'm not there to party. I'll go party when I get back to yeah. uni on Monday. But that was my relationship with surfing at that time, and with uni, like for things, I don't blend them. Like try and separate them. Yeah. The, the year I got knocked out in the first, in the second round by the man on the crocodile was I'd oh wow I actually stayed in that night so That's the correlation works in reverse <laughs> yeah. whereas you've been out the night before coming my most success I don't think I'd slept <laughs> uh, yeah there's a positive correlation between no I think I there's really a bit of sports psychology going on there Rob Maybe. I feel like we could have a conversation I about think, that I think I was taking it seriously the year that I came. Uh, third in it yeah I was I, I had all my eyes on Almini remember you know Almini yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was like he lives in Portrush yeah if you've got it if you can t if you can keep Almini out you'll be all right and then this little known fella called Nick Reed was just sort of oh, I saw him this morning insiders. of course he was and then after he's a come machine out, yeah come out of the water and somebody said guy over there and I, you know he, he was ripping he's won it and I was like what him I didn't even know he was <laughs> at that point but there we go well and, Give Nick some credit. Nick does rip. Oh, Nick. You sit very well, Tom. I'm giving you both some credit. You both absolutely rip. But Nick, Nick Reed well. also does sit very well. He's a great contest machine as well. I'm going to say actually, right, that Nick Reed winning the seniors. Nick Reese. Sorry, was I saying Nick Reese? Nick Reed. Nick Reed. <laughs> Nick Reese. I'm sure Nick Reese is Nick, okay Nick Reese is yeah. a wave maker. Yeah, Nick yes. Reese is a wave maker. <laughs> there we are. But there's also another Nick Reese. So there's like two Nick Re Nick Reeses from Swansea. Oh, is it? Getting them all confused. Better <laughs> right, the ones that I know, yeah. Nick Reed, in fact, we're coming on to this now, this, this contest, well, we're back go. here again in the 2011 Welsh. Get, get your stats out. i got to say, just after, oh, no, it was just before watching you guys' final in the ladies, I think Nick Reed taking down the seniors that year, 2011 Welsh, is the best I've ever seen anyone surf in the Welsh when he took that down. Really? So hopefully, tell Nick to listen to this podcast. And, uh, yeah, I he, will. He, that was big... You know, like overhead, solid, land to it lefts. And he, like, I've it. never seen anyone surf a final of the Welsh as well as Nick surfed that final. Yeah. And, and I can't remember exactly who he took down, but it was everyone in the final yeah. was a big name. It was like Greg, James, and Vaughn, or it was something like that. And he took them all down. Fair play. Mm. And uh, no, it's always nice to see um, the big sort of characters in Welsh surfing and getting them all around the table for Welsh nationals every year. It's nice to see it, isn't it? 
and who's up for grabs like who's going to win it this year well we, we briefly touched on again your successful run at the um, 2011 Welsh at Lantwit and we've talked about lots of victories but how about maybe some lows or setbacks yeah there's loads that, you, that you've encountered so setbacks in your so, surf career so I think in 2009 I think I won one event in the Welsh but I the women's event I didn't do as well I think I had a bit of a mental block so yeah I just remember again I think that was the start of the season after I was trying to come back um, and get back into the jersey again and trying to find a rhythm and for sure that was I wouldn't call it a low but it was a learning curve mm. of trying to not let fear get in the way of what I wanted to achieve um, but I was lucky at that point that I could still compete in two different categories so I had a backup plan in terms of the next day I got to compete in the under 18 girls, so that's fine. So that for sure, setback, I mean... Thinking, I'm thinking qualification or selection for teams. Yeah, so that's coming up. So yeah, I had the year after was the 2011, no, 20, 2009. Nine, yeah. Yeah, so 2009, I didn't get selected for, um, I, I think it was 2009, for yeah. the Welsh team um, for the Euros in Jersey, which and I was pretty devo about. Yeah, I think I won quite a lot of other things in that year, but I got third at the... I think I just didn't quite make the cut for yeah. the actual Welsh, and they've always been quite strict on having one, two, three, four, yeah. um, or one, two, um, from the na national results, regardless of what happened in other results, which is totally fine. Yeah. Um, you know, you learn a lesson of just, like, get, getting on with it and doing better and making it um, making something that people can't have a conversation about, so... That's a, that's a good phrase. Something people can't have a conversation about. You, you're you're sounding like a coach when you, in these things you're saying now, which you are. But how did you come into coaching then? Because you know, you, you, I suppose it is those sorts of experiences are the experiences that make you as a coach, aren't they? Because you know, they're, they're, the sports is littered with these tales of great successful sports people who can't make that transition to coaching but coaching needs that patience you need to work people through those setbacks and things like that so how did you suddenly notice that you were a coach and that you had that mindset I think if you've been through the junior system in the UK and you've been on training trips and you're aware of video analysis and you've done quite a lot of it in that amount of time through a good few years you start to really understand what you need to do and what your flaws are, what you need to work on um, and creating a plan for yourself. So you're almost becoming your own coach yeah. because unfortunately it's not like football or hockey or yeah. rugby where you turn up and you do your two hours on a Monday and then you leave. It's yeah, not all, it's not set up like, like that, which is great, which is mm. the great part about surfing is that it's mm. spontaneous. Um, but in terms of progression, you need to learn to be that for yourself. So I think subconsciously throughout all of those years of doing all those trips, being around lots of different inspiring people and great surfers, you come to a point where you end up going, well, actually, for some reason, I've got this just like book of not knowledge, I think, of maybe how to do a bit better. So it came to the point I pulled out of surfing, I think, in 2010 or 11 for a few years. Yeah. Um, competitive surfing. Competitive surfing, yeah. I just... Um, sort of didn't want to do it anymore quite frankly I uh, wanted to focus on university wanted to focus on new interests and um, just really like change it up a bit which was really really lush and refreshing and I got back into team sports which I've always loved so things like that became very important to me but it also still highlighted my love for sport number one but number two I still miss surfing so I still miss that competitive environment being around everyone being around the community so I think I went to the Welsh Nationals in 2014 or 15. I entered for the first time again for a few years and I think I got third 
in the final. But that was pumping surf, not good surf, but big pumping surf, um, which was really fun to enter again. And I remember I think I spoke to Linda Sharp at that point and I said, you know, I really want to get involved. Uh, at that time, I don't think it was, there was a space for me for whatever reason, n nothing bad, just I don't think... Uh, they could facilitate my involvement at that point. But Surfing GB, who are now Surfing England, they did have a position and they were advertising for a coach or a female coach for their junior team to go to that World Games, which is in California in 2015, 10 years exactly after I went. So I was like, for sure, I'm going to sign myself sound, up. It sounds meant to be there. Yeah, yeah I was like, on, for yeah. sure, I'm going to do that. So I went to Cornwall, we had a few training, uh, training camps and that's when I was introduced to Ellie Turner, Kitty Brewer, um, Peony night I took to Nicaragua anyway in 2013 with Lloyd Cole. Right. Um, so I've known those girls for a very, very long time. Emily Curry was on that 2015 it's trip. Emily Curry longboards too, doesn't she's she? The yeah. She's the Rips dual surfer, yeah. yeah. So she's incredible. So she does both the longboard and shortboard events. So she also is in Nicaragua and California. Yeah. So yeah, that trip was one of the biggest learning curve trips I've ever been on, managing, being 24 years old, managing 12 kids with two other men that I don't know, <laughs> staying in a hotel room with two other men in the 30s that I've never really spent a huge amount of time with, yeah. being up every day, walking surfers down to the comp site for sunrise because they're children and yeah. you can't leave children by themselves. So I remember doing... And then having to be patient with them when they oh, don't necessarily oh, finding get them, right in a heat. Finding them, are they out of the surf? Where's that kid? Are they there? Have they been fed? Have they got water? <laughs> Have they been out of the sun? Oh, that kid needs to be walked back. We were about two or three kilometres away from comp site. So I think one day I walked there and back like three times. Bearing in mind, it's hot. I think I, I sat on my bed in the hotel room because I was like, right, I have 15 minutes off and I slept for 15 minutes. And I was like, that is <laughs> that, like... That's what happens when you've got kids. <laughs> I know, I was 24 and I remember yeah. seeing Ingemar. You learn to just sleep when you've got 15 minutes. So Ingemar was there, Ingemar Cressy was there with the Welsh yeah. team coaching as well as Sam Moore and Stuart Bentley yeah, managing. Yeah, he had kids by then, yeah. And he remember, was probably delighted. It was <laughs> so he was there with the Welsh team. So we had, a, we had a sit down. So he ended up just sitting next to me being like, I'm not even going to try in a South African accent, so don't oh, even right. try, no, don't I even try, try it. Either, no. I mean, I know you are tempted. It's the only one I can't do. So he was <laughs> like, you know, taking a lot of responsibility. And I was like, never thought of it like, like that, ever. I never thought, wow, I'm taking on responsibility. I thought, wow, I get to go and <laughs> coach children and kids in an yeah. international surfing event, which is kind of like bread and butter for me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we went and surfed trestles a little bit. I watched Ellie Turner and Peony Knight smash through rounds. I watched Ellie Turner kick a few asses in terms of her first heat she took off on a you know, small nugget wave in Oceanside and she was against one of the top-seeded USA girls and they've got a squad of like 20 people on yeah. the beach of parents and surfers. And uh, you know she took off and then she hit the first section, re released her fins, came down, hit, hit the second section, released her fins and finished it. And I remember just all of them just looked down, down the beach and were just staring at us and... Uh, you know, the girls had a few compliments um, off that trip and a few of the guys absolutely ripped as well. Yeah. But it was really cool and really inspiring. And being around that, I think, reignited that flame of wanting to be involved. It's all that stuff, though, isn't it? About, like, you know, have they got their toothpaste? Have they got the right side? Yeah, for sure. That's You're like the a stuff that probably makes the difference, you know, between people who will make it and not make it in a sport that is about travelling and looking after oh, your yeah. body and your well-being. And Incremental your gains. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? It's the little things. So it's all about margins, I would say. So you, you know, you're you're creating an environment where people feel really happy, 
and they feel safe and they feel comfortable. Um, and the more trips I've been away and done as a coach or as a manager, the more you realise creating that lovely, fun environment where you feel a bit of a family mm. is incredibly important. Um, just because who doesn't want to feel mm. uh, really supported before they're going to go and compete? Because I don't know for you guys, but for me, if I know I've got a team of people all backing me, I'm like, well, I want to do this for them. I, yeah. want, I want to do it for me, but I want to do Absolutely. it for everyone else supporting me. Yeah, and I guess it goes, certainly at that age, it goes beyond that because you're, you're in California or you're wherever and as much as it is a surf contest and you want to kind of maintain that vibe, you've also spent probably quite a considerable amount of money getting there and you want to have a good time, don't you, as well as do well in the contest. Yeah, so that's interesting because there's like a dual sort of way of seeing that. So when I go away as a coach or manager, I'm never thinking I want to go away and have a good no, no, time. No, I'm saying from the competitor's point of view. They but, want to be having a good time. They don't want to be sad. For sure, but there's that really sort of the difference between professional approach and non-professional approach, which when you get a bit older becomes very apparent. You can tell the people who are there to to compete and to win and, you you know, the people who are there just for the oh, laugh course, yeah. and for, like, the free sifts, which, bearing in mind, that is critically important as these trips go for that development, especially when they're young, you know. When kids are, like, 14 ye years old, all they need to do is go and surf as much as possible with these people who are incredible surfers. I mean... Uh, one of the Eli Hanneman was at the last um, was at the last World Games, which was in Huntington, not Huntington, yeah, Huntington in two thousand and eighteen. I think we went yeah. as the Wel Welshman. I think it was myself, Patrick, Hugh, Martin, John, um, EJ Cogger, and Joe Mo Morris. So um, I think they, you know, they got to see the new rising stars and just being around that caliber and that level and that performance is so important for our kids. Mm. Absolutely, and you mentioned quite a few names there, Gwen. Who's who's on the tip of your tongue at the minute in terms of up-and-comers in, in Wales? And I, again, I know you, you won't want to leave anybody out, and it's kind of inevitable, because I assume there's so many people that you'd like to mention. Yeah, um, I think it's important to just be as encouraging as possible when kids are young, and if they're enjoying something, I feel like supporting kids to surf and to get into competitive surfing for me is becoming a bit of a priority. So scaling them at the moment for me is probably at the back of my mind, but one standout surfer for me is probably Alice Barton. Uh, in terms yeah, of her so performance, in terms of um, what she's trying to do, uh, the way she surfs, uh, she's highly impressive and I'm hopeful that that continues on that tra trajectory that she's on. Um, you mentioned earlier the we were talking about mindsets and stuff like that and yeah. you just you touched on it then again you know and Rob you were talking about the guys who've gone to enjoy the trip mm. or the guys who've gone because you know they see it as a stepping stone and they see it as a learning experience and you and I Gwen we've talked about this before you know that that, that mindset and how Wales is adjusting to that international competitive mindset now you know and, and we've talked a bit about the idea that perhaps in, in rugby sometimes you know the pinnacle is to play for Wales or to play for Wales when they beat England. Whereas if you're an All Black, the pinnacle is not to play for the All Blacks, it's to win the World Cup mm. as an All Black. Uh, and I think that, that Wales now, in football in particular, the ladies and the men's teams, both of them, completely now have got that total internationalist mindset. That, you know, They want to be world beaters. Just having that Wales jersey is not, that's not the reward anymore. It's what you do when you're in that Wales jersey. Do you think we're getting there in surfing then? You know, where it's not it's not the reward that, all right, I'm on the trip, I've gone to the Junior Europeans, yes, great, or whatever. You know, it's like, are we getting there with, with people who've got that international outlook and they want to get out there and do it beyond Wales? 
I feel like we've made a start in Wales by us having um, the opportunity to be able to go and take a team to ISA World Games. So for me, that was, for Wales specifically, our first stepping stone. The second stepping stone is not just to go, is to compete. And then the third stepping stone is we're not just here to compete, we're here to win. Right. Or, or we're here to make top 16, we're here to make top yeah. top eight. Because in terms of what we look at and to, uh, when you think of performance and uh medal winning medal winning standard you're really lo looking at top eight mm -hmm. so um for us going to european events is going to be really really important and pretty much what you touched upon then tom you, you talked about really what we're looking at is a change of culture mm. in our sport so at the moment it's really celebrated to represent your country which is a huge um, accolade and an incredible achievement uh, but in terms of how we're going to move forward and create winners we've then got to make and change the milestone and go, you know what, what's really important now for that top tier is creating medal win winning standard and making that the norm instead of being like, okay, cool, um, you represent your country, so now we're just going to go surfing for a week in Cal California. It's like, no, we're, we're going because you have this heat tomorrow. And that was one really cool thing about Japan. Uh, when we were all uh, sat there doing all, I was doing all the timings uh, with all the athletes and I was saying to Jay, look Jay, you make this heat, you're going to be surfing like that podium at 240, you make that heat. So I was telling him, because that's the mindset we want to be thinking of, you're not maybe going to make this heat, yes, we don't know yet, yeah. but you want the mentality of like, when you make this heat, you're going from that podium to podium two and you're going to be in in 40 minutes afterwards, so make sure you've got your water yeah. and you've got food if you're going to do that and it's creating and changing the culture of how we view success in Wales and in the UK for surfing, but that happens from grassroots up and it's going to take a very, very long time. Producer Dodd is whispering in my ear here. He's saying that he can remember in the 90s, you know, when a couple of us would make it to the junior Europeans that our mentality was always like, yes, Tom and Sage, you've got a free holiday somewhere to go surfing. And I think I probably am guilty as charged on a few of those occasions what about you rob are you are you the yes. are you the free holiday guy when you qualified for, well, for it's, events it, there's no such thing as a free holiday absolutely <laughs> yeah. not um, absolutely not no like gwen said it's it's a massive honor isn't it being selected to represent your country and i think certainly when i was a junior there was um a sense of we I mean, we were going there to compete don't get me wrong like you want you wanted to win you wanted to do your best however you were also aware that you come from a country that ha doesn't have surf 365 days a year yeah. you have well if you're lucky you get probably 100 days surf per year and it's more often than not it's windy and it's onshore and we get far fewer good days than we do bad days of surf and so there was always kind of like a caveat almost that you turn up and you get knocked out by i don't know some ripper from goodness knows where and you go oh well yeah and it, you, it was kind of like a get was, there was no pressure you know yeah. it, it certainly felt that way there are two mindsets with this. I'm kind of torn between both camps because I felt at certain points as a junior that there could have been a lot, of, lot more professionalism in certain aspects of it. However, and I, I actually had this conversation with Elliot Dudley earlier today, and um, Joel Tudor says it all of the time on his Instagram, and I don't agree with lots of the things Joel Tudor says. However, this one I'm kind of on board with, and he kind of rails against the, the jock culture that's invading surfing as he sees it. And I'm kind of, I like the idea too of surfing being kind of like counterculture, anti-establishment and not organised. But there's also a part of me, like I said, that likes the idea of yeah. having some kind of professionalism. So it is it's it is a divisive subject. I mean, I'm divided on my, myself on it. I think it's super interesting when you think of surfing and you look at it from a sport perspective. You never turn up 
to a surf ready to compete. You never turn up to your warm up mm. and then start a match. Surfing is innately non-competitive. So when you talk about that and we have this conversation, I separate them. So I, you are, you know, you can compete and surf, but you can also just free surf. They don't have to yeah, convolute I think, one I another. I've always thought of it that way, but I, I think what he, Joel Tudor talks about when he says about the jock culture is that there's certainly not just in terms of competition, but kind of like it's pervasive in the culture in that there's been a, a shift towards like super high performance. You can't just go for a surf for the sake of it. And, and I see it in lots of, um, on lots of British surfers Instagrams, the idea that like great, great training tonight. And it's like, well, you just went for a surf, didn't you? Like they just going for a surf out front of their house by themselves. Mm. Training. Is like, there a training surf and a free surf? Is I mean, there a training I, surf? Yeah. I find this really interesting because I mean, what I'm getting from you is that you're kind of anti that. Well, like I say, I'm split. I like the idea he's, he's of... He's got becoming... a kind of what youth cap on there, hasn't he? You know, I, think we're... I think it's great to have opinions about where it's going and where the sport's moving. But like I've just said, it's a sport. And now yeah. oh, it's centrally I, funded. I, you know, I've always liked the idea of it being a sport as well. Because I was, I, that's another thing I get fed up by. Is it kind of being dismissed in mainstream media. So if they were to run a, an article on it on BBC News, quite often, well, not necessarily BBC yeah, News. Yeah, they don't even know but, that it's possible to They'll, they'll show, it, yeah. like, some guy in the whitewater on a foamy, yeah. and when they're talking about someone that's actually surfing at a really high standard, and they'll yeah. put, like, Beach Boys to it, and I love the Beach Boys. I think we had this chat with Andy Martin. Yeah. Um, they'll put Beach Boys to it, and they kind of, like, it almost degrades it and makes it, like, a, yeah. a joke. Um, and so I like the idea of it becoming more professional so that we can be like, yeah. well, actually, no, this is it. And look what these guys are doing. They're professional athletes. They're doing this, this and this. That's coming with the Olympics, though, isn't it? Pretty much. So what you're saying there is we want to be respected and represented correctly. The only way we're going to do that is by becoming more professional because people, yeah. like you just said, the anti-culture and the rebellious act of surfing and what it used to stand for, that's what people tend to push against. Yeah. It's because they associate surfing with yeah. drug taking, they associate surfing with rebellious acts. Whether we like it or not, most people I know that talk to that aren't surfers yeah. think it's a joke because they're like, we don't take these people necessarily that seriously because of what they used to it's, be associated with. And uh, that's the fight now is one versus the other and hey look i'm all for lifestyle surfing and i think it's it has so many health um and mental well-being benefits and i'm all for just going out on a foamy and having a laugh even though i've been a competitive surfer i think you need to do that to understand if you want to be a competitive surfer mm. i think if all you ever are is a competitive surfer is you just see it as a sport yeah. and that's fine but it's understanding both sides of it, like you said, yeah. and go, you know what, from time to time, I want to be surfer B, I want to be the mm. competitor, which is, like yeah. you said, Tom, you can turn a surf into a training session. So as an example, you know, whenever we used to we used to do training, the training would last for maybe one hour, and then the last 20 minutes, it becomes more of a free, relaxed yeah. session where they can choose what they want to do on a wave instead of it having di dictated yeah. to by the coach or by somebody else. So... There's ways of looking at this and figuring it out, but it's definitely what you just highlighted, Rob, is the clash and the change of culture is uncomfortable for lots of people. And longboarding and shortboarding, by the way, I don't really think can be compared in lots of different elements. And I th in, my, in my opinion, um, longboarding is beautiful. It's also progressive. There's so yeah. many elements to it as if you look at judging longboarding events represents, you know, Absolutely. like yeah. you have Elliot who's won multiple U European titles, but then you look at Ben Skinner and the way they both naturally surf is completely, di I, I, completely I separate. How can you judge those guys against each so, other? It's a mad, it's a mad thing. So know, the yeah. disparity you get then with I've the judging scale. That's a big scale. challenge longboarding comes up against. 
And I think so. And I don't know anywhere near enough about this. And Harrod, John and I have had the many conversations. The now to a kind of away from that mimicking what shortboarders do on a wave more towards the traditional approach, Interpretive, isn't it? Interpretive, yeah. Yeah, so it also depends on the wave that you're competing against. So, for example, in, at a European champ championships, the event isn't catered for longboarding. The event is catered usually for shortboarding mm. because that though that covers the majority of all of the events. It's in a dumpy beach break. Yeah. It's in a yeah. dumpy beach break, which happened in Santa Cruz. So, you know, yeah. the wave is naturally... Um, fitted to yeah. performance surfing rather than riding a log yeah. you know so yeah. there's lots of different conversations that come within surfing and competing and then you've got the different disciplines which is a whole other ball game mm. and i just think the conversation and having conversations like this is good because it educates people and it goes like where do we want to go some people want to go left some people want to go right both are fine i've got a third hat to throw in the ring here yeah i like the counterculture kind of rebellious nature but i want to be represented properly in that not as not not to be dismissed, you know. Not yeah. to not to be as you said, not to be associated with drug taking or anything. Yeah, like that. right. I don't, I don't surfing to have that reputation because it, it it's simply not that. That's been kind of enforced on surfing, isn't it? How do we create that in mainstream media then? As we are, if we're going to be a normal sport, we're we're competing against yep. swimming. I think we've got to get characters out there. When do you know what? I had this. You reckon? I had this conversation yesterday with my old man. Like, look at Italo Ferrer. You know. Yeah. Carissa. You know, look at what these guys are going to do. I, you know, I, dad, you need good dad, say, yeah. dad made some comment yesterday um, about how you never, despite the like, the surf this evening was absolutely packed. There's so many people in surfing. The beach car parks are all full. Yet, how often do you hear surfing referenced properly in mainstream media? So, uh, on the weather, for instance. Now, every now and again, Derek Brockway might make some mention of surfing, yeah. but it's very, very infrequently. And Dad was just kind of saying, well, why don't they say it more and more? And I kind of made the point that I like that it's not. I want surfing to be, I like it as my own. And I don't want to share it yeah. with everybody else. It's so funny, like, because we, we, we talk about this now and we say, like, oh, we want people to understand it more. And we want people to uh, fairly represent it. But, you know, we're, we're three people who probably know quite a bit in different ways about surfing. And we can't really agree on our direction. It's mad, isn't it? So if... You know, you, you, yeah. you've won titles, I I've won, myself. you know you know <laughs> what I mean? So yeah. if we're sat here mm. and we're trying to find a direction for it and we, yeah. you know, are struggling with that yeah. and we are going to get there because we are a sport. It's uncomfortable. Okay, You've you got five now, seconds, five seconds each. You've got to make your case. What? Um, I'll go with myself. Surfing, non-joke culture, anti-establishment, keep it to ourselves. All right, I'm just going to say snowboarding has managed to keep that unique identity and become a mainstream sport, and it's done it well. Surfing can do it too. Surfing's changing, guys. Get used to it. Yes, <laughs> I like that. I will say as well, it's rich of Joel Tudor to be suddenly this kind of yeah, like, you know, representative. Because I saw yeah, that don't guy don't when yeah, he was, don't mention it. When no, we're he was end up winning all his stuff yeah, in the don't 90s. Do that. Don't. Oh, will he mention us? Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> Bring it on, Joe. I saw light. that guy when he was winning his stuff in the nineties in the Oxbow days and you know, he was a he was a gnarly, fiery, competitive, yeah. athletic guy that wanted to beat people. Oh absolutely he was. What is he doing for longboarding now? Is he is he, he like runs some so duct tape, does he yeah. run a contest? Duct tape, like a duct yeah. tape. So he runs a contest, but a contest he's... where there's no rules, there's no judge except judging criteria. So he, so he doesn't like contests, but he runs a contest. Uh, no, he doesn't. He doesn't mind contests. He likes contests. He doesn't like the. I'm jock. up for getting so slagged off by him. Can, can somebody Let's define jock culture for me? Because I, for so me, jock, I just the, know the, the jock culture. And I, jock culture is non-surf. I do the jock culture. Right. As he, as I think, as he intends it. I mean, not to put words in anyone's mouth. Certainly, as I see it, then perhaps is the uh, the idea on those like 
you know, like you see in basketball when they're like and in the lineup and then the basketball player turns around and faces the camera with like their top off and they're like tense and it's got all their yeah. weight and everything. Surfing started to do that with the WSL. That's jock culture. I, and have like and like fake technologies on wetsuits and board shorts and all that nonsense. I'd Just get a pair of trunks on and go in surfing. I'd call that Americanized. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a like pulling pulling away from the kind of the the disorderly and higgledy piggledy nature of surfing that makes surfing great in my opinion. Fair. You're a sports fan, right? It's not happening this year, unfortunately. It'll be off till next year. But I'm telling you, are anyone interested in sports, you've got to try and get yourself to one of those London series games and go and see the NFL. Yeah. And the way that they put together the razzmatazz and the way that they organise this sport and they turn it into a spectator spectacle and they turn it into something that's good on TV at the same time. I'll stop there because otherwise everyone's going to get bored because everyone knows I talk about the NFL till the cows come home. But you know, it's, and also it's full of all the geekery, the stuff I love to, you know, I, I geek out on the NFL. But all the stats. Promise me that you'll find a way of getting down to one of those London games yeah. and go and see it. What a chance to see what sport can actually be. It's the global model for growing a sport. Well, I think that's the entertainment coming into the sport performance, isn't it? And I feel like. Like you just said, Rob, that's maybe what you don't like. Well, the thing is, I am a massive sports fan. If it's if there's a sport on TV, I'll watch it. Because I used to hold, I've had season tickets for cricket, the sport that most people find boring. Yeah, I'm I mean, absolutely in love with it. But right. you just don't know where surfing sits. I just, I just don't. <laughs> I yeah, I like to separate them. <laughs> Surfing's my like okay. my little secret off to the side. Okay, so moving away from the ins and outs and where surfing should or shouldn't be going. Uh, how about you, Gwen? How are you enjoying your surfing at the moment? Um, so, where are we now? What what day is it? Is it the twenty fifth or twenty fourth of June? Time's gone out the window. <laughs> time is gone. Out the, time has gone it's out the window. June, yeah. But I'm trying to figure out how many surfs I've had in the last few days, and I think this yeah. is the most I've surfed for is like it? a year. Um, really enjoying it. Just simply to ask your question, to answer your question. Um, I think I just enjoy the social element of it as well. To be honest, I like compartmentalize and put competitive stuff to one side and just enjoy mm. going out, paddling around, flailing about in the water, trying to catch a few waves, trying to do a few turns and embarrassing myself. So, yeah, it's good. I like it. And we've heard so much about your kind of sporting mindset and you've just said you put it to one side, but um, you're clearly quite a goal-oriented yeah. person. And I know you said that you've kind of put your the competitive side of surfing away whilst yeah. you go out and enjoy yourself. Yeah. But do you have any goals around the, the fun side of it? So is that... It might look like trying different boards or going on trips to certain places. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I went, when I pulled back from ke- competing a bit, I spend a lot of time in Australia because my brother-in-law, who is Sam Birkett, who uh, was a oh, brilliant course. Welsh team surfer and British team surfer. Mm, I bumped into him in the lineup in the Superbank, actually. Of course you did. And well, he said, oh, I'm a poker player, he said. Yeah, because he is. Wow. Professional poker player. And then I caught the best wave of my life a few seconds later and he saw it. And so then I was like... Did he actually congratulate you on, no, on that wave? No, I rode it all the way down and then got out and drove to the airport, so I haven't seen him since. Oh, bless. No, so he I, probably just saw me take off on it. I mean, I'm really glad that you had the best wave of your life very soon after chatting to him. The last time I think I surfed the Superbank, or one of, one of the times, I think I did the worst bog rail turn of my life in front of Stephanie Gilmore, and I was like, <laughs> yes, I was like, I am getting out now because that is my life completely and utterly <laughs> over. And I think I waited like an hour for it as well. Yeah. That's after he tried to persuade me to paddle out um, at Snap, and he was like, oh yeah, it's like four foot. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'd never check, because I'm just like, I trust him. We're gonna go, it's fine. And as we're walking over the hill where we parked, we parked on the top um, overlooking uh, Rainbow yeah. and Greenmount, 
and I couldn't I could barely see the bottom of the surfer when they were bottom turning like pretty much behind the rock and I was like yes I'm sure four foot and then uh, he paddled out on the slip through and I went and paddled out just before Mar Marley I think it is yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I, I paddled out there and just waited for some fun ones and yeah had the worst turn of my life in front mm -hmm. of Steph Gilmore so what a great tale but I was pretty happy about it to be honest uh, we'll, we'll keep that one for the next grand final of uh, horror surf tales Rob <laughs> won't we yeah do that she was talking about travel though as like a you know travel is a, is a thing that so, you enjoy then yeah I totally didn't even answer your question <laughs> sorry um, that's what a good podcast is so in terms of what I look at now of what I want to do I just want to try and get in as much as possible and keep that level of surf fitness up because I'm worried that if I don't surf enough I'll lose it a bit and then you're spending such a long amount of time trying to build it back whereas if you can kind of maintain that that's fun and it makes um, makes it more enjoyable I think if you're not absolutely exhausted if you've surfed a few times in a row so that for sure is one thing I'm focusing on if I have time I want to surf and I want to commit that time to surfing um, but other than that I just enjoy the banter around it and if I get to go a few more places around the world managing and coaching then that's great but it's all about the experiences cool well Gwen I'm going to thank you very much for coming and talking to us about this stuff it's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, we know you're still hopeful um that the trip to el salvador might go on uh, later in the year you got anything else planned before that if it, it, it you know we don't know what's going to happen yet you've got anything on the horizon in terms of trips yeah so i'm hopeful to get out to australia to the gold coast within the next six months or a year whenever australia allows non-citizens in as my sister and Sam uh, are due to have a baby within the next month or oh, five, six weeks. Congratulations, so, guys. Yeah, so I'm um, really excited about that, potentially. Um, gutted I can't be there with her uh, for that, but you never know, maybe in the next six months. Well, that's going to make Birkett a little bit less deadly in the uh, little Marley. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Two sleepless nights, it'll do him good. He's still oh, sleepless nights. He doesn't go to sleep. Oh, yeah, he's he's, poker, he's, no he? he's yeah. nocturnal, I swear. Yeah. All right. Um, on that note, we've recently finished a double episode on, on surf trip nightmares. So hopefully that's going to turn out to be a surf trip dream there. You get back over there and you know, the, world, the world's going to start opening up again for travel. With days bright and the weather good, one thing we've noticed was, was how much stoke people got, um, even from bad travel tales. So what we're going to do down the line now is start to come up with some other feature travel episodes, um, this time basing them on a theme country. We had a lot on Indonesia still left in stock. So that's going to happen before the season's out. But we're going to start by appealing to listeners for France Tales. Who knows if anyone will get there this summer. But either way, it seems a good time of year to reminisce about that place. So listeners, if you have ideas, do let us know by Instagram or by emailing castcrest at gmail.com. In the meantime... Don't forget you can also subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts as well as on YouTube where you'll be able to see the growing number of neon tiles which denote our backlist of episodes to date. Next up, we're going to be talking about the giant stuff with Midwayland surfer Glyn Ovens. How does someone from this country learn and prepare for the step up to becoming a bona fide big wave rider? We'll hear about Nazare and all its moods and what it's like to surf the world's most revered toe spot. We're looking forward to it. So that all that remains for this week is to reiterate our thank yous. Besides Gwen, of course, can we stress our gratitude to you, the listener. Take care and see you soon. Hoilvar. Thank you for having me.